we're still at like a very fragmented place in terms of Web3 and its usages, right? And you see companies across the board going into Web3. I can say almost for a fact that there is no like one company within like the, you know, top 100 brands in the world that doesn't deal with, you know, what's our Web3 strategy? What are we doing like with NFTs and things like that, which is great. All right, welcome to another episode of Built on Web3. Today, we are thrilled to be chatting with Omer Amsel, who is the head of Web3 at Fireblocks. Omer, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Honored to be here. So I want to start this episode off just kind of talking about Web3 in general. Um, it's, you know, everyone has their own definition of Web3. It's, there's so many layers to it. It's very confusing. So Omer, what does Web3 mean to you? Great. So that's a great question. Um, it it reminds me I was on a panel this week and we had a discussion around how to secure like DeFi interactions. Um, and I remember that I did the same. So it, and it was titled like Web3 Security. And then I remember I had the same panel just a year ago and it was called DeFi Security. Um, <laughs> so, you know, everything is kind of changing and every, the, the, the terms are fluid. Um, but as a company, um, you need to be very kind of strict in how you approach these things otherwise they can kind of get you know into the gray area so um the way that we define here fireblocks at at web3 and and we'll touch a a bit on who fireblocks is and and what what we're doing in the space um so basically we categorize web3 as uh all the companies or all the initiatives that are non-financial in nature um, which is different. Um, we understand that, you know, DeFi protocols can be also deemed as Web3. Blockchain companies are also building Web3. But for us as a company and as a line of business, um, we define Web3 as um, any initiative product or company that um, are dealing with an, a non-financial product. Um, so nothing around like trading, speculative trading, um, which is more the financial side of, of, of the blockchain and crypto industry. Um, we're, uh, it, when we say Web3, we're more, fo- more focused around like non-financial uh, products and companies. So that's Got how it. we define it. Cool. Yeah, I actually haven't heard it defined like that. And I love that because that's kind of, I guess, how we've been looking at it, but I haven't actually like said that that's how we're defining it. Because um, yeah, we're like we don't talk about any of the financials or speculation or coins or tokens or like yeah, a price or any of that. So uh, that's good to hear that we're uh, we're with you there. <laughs> that's also a good feedback for me, right? That I'm not uh, talking nonsense yet. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, that's uh... <laughs> that's great. So your your job title is head of Web three, which I think is the coolest thing ever because I, I have not heard that yet. Um, of somebody having that title, uh, you're probably one of the first in the world to have that title, I would imagine, if not the first. So tell us yep. what that job description is um, as head of Web3 at a pretty large and successful like, Web3 company. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I'm, it's, it's, it's a confusing title, I would say. It is really cool. Uh, one of the reasons that I get up, get up every morning and they, and go out to work is, uh, is also that title. Uh, and being able to say that, um, which not a lot of people, as you said, can, can do. Um, but mainly, so I, I'm part of the, I would say, so I started out uh, in Farblocks more in the product side, uh, with director of product, dealing with, you know, DeFi, NFTs, and, and so on and so forth. Um, but there came a need um, to kind of look at the market more broadly and how 
we as Fireblocks, um, and again, we'll touch upon what, what it, is it that we do, um, treat uh, the Web3 industry. Uh, the first thing actually was to define it, uh, what we did just earlier. Um, uh, so we need to define that market, um, segment that market, um, then go out on exploration with each one of these segments and understand how do they view uh, Web3, what do they need, um, and what is missing today, what are their pain points, and how do we align and what is within our set of capabilities to do in order to address those pain points and gaps that are currently in the market. So my role is very outbound. Um, I go out, I speak to um, everyone uh, that's uh, willing to, to speak with me, um, and we uh, go into interviews of, of what is it that they're seeing all the way from, you know, um, marketing execs uh, to uh, head of engineering, um, each one, what is the set of, of uh, challenges uh, and hurdles that they see in order to kind of bake that technology within their products or within their uh, their companies. Uh, some obviously are easier than others. Um, you know, Web3 startups, they already know that this is, you know, kind of the tech stack that they're adopting. Um, so it's easy, it's an easier uh, conversation and you get more like deeper into kind of into the weeds of like what exactly is it that they want to see. Uh, while with, you know, kind of the big brands, the logos, it's, it starts more in the high level. So that's basically my role. It's more of a, a strategy role. So I, I uh, define what, what Fireblocks is in this space and what do we need uh, from product engineering, marketing, sales, um, customer success and operations perspective. So it's a very broad role um, and also a super interesting one. So I would say maybe a bit too technical, but this is like uh, my day-to-day. Omer, you had mentioned something that I want to go back to before we dive a little bit more into Fireblocks. And that was that you had mentioned that you were in the product management role before, the product ownership. And then you moved into a much more leadership type role here. I think that's really cool because you don't see that so often because the Web3 space is just so new. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about what it was like as a product manager in a Web3 company? And does it really differ from the traditional Web2 product manager type role? So again, as you've said, everything is is very new and the processes are very new. I think in terms of when you look at the engineering type, uh, you know, engineering, product engineering, um, it's similar. Um, I think one of the uh, one of the key differences actually with managing like a product group or an engineering group within the Web3 space is is onboarding employees, for instance, right? Finding and onboarding them because let's say, right, as a manager, you want to hire and with Fireblocks, a company that grew super fast. Um, you know, I, I joined um, a year and some ago, um, we were 180, uh, 200 employees. We're now over 600 employees. So we grew like very, very fast, tripled our size uh, within within a year. Um, so you want to hire, you know, talented, brilliant people. And if if you say that you're looking for like, you know, blockchain, crypto, Web3 experience, you kind of narrow it down the scope to like the people <laughs> that, that can actually, you know, apply for the position. So I think one thing to bear in mind is that if you're growing, 
then the, the cycle of hiring, onboarding, and getting people to be productive is a little bit longer than what it is in the tra traditional Web2 space. That's, again, due to the novelty of the space, right? I mean, two, in, in two, three years, that's not going to be a problem, right? A lot of, like, these young engineers that are coming in, dealing, you know, the same way that I opened, like, I don't know, QBasic when I was, like, nine years old. Um, yes, that's how old I am. Um, <laughs> and, and, and then, like, and also in today, um, some of these, like, young people, developers are opening Solidity or, or doing something on, on blockchain. So I think it's going to take time, but it's going to uh, kind of um, uh, take care of itself. Um, so that's one aspect of how it's different. Like the, it takes longer to onboard these employees. Um, and you're also dealing with a lot of different primitives. Um, after they learned, there are some things that you can or cannot do, um, especially when you bring a lot of security into the space. So I can give like a very, I guess, tangible um, example. Um, so think about, oh, sure. so think about um, the information that's being displayed when someone actually signs a transaction. Um, so you want to give them as much information as possible, although you don't want to get too technical about it, right? So let's say you want to tell them the most basic things that they're going to go on, um, you know, some of these DEXs and have a swap token to token method, right? That's like a very famous method. But then you understand that, okay, sometimes they don't implement it the same way. And the, you know, the first variable is the from token uh, on, on, one, on one smart contract. And, uh, and on another contract, the first variable is actually the two token, right? So it, it's like, it's very hard to structure something that's so, um, you know, rapidly evolving and changing and it's not very well standardized. So you're not working within a very um, well-defined um, space, right? So you're not, so you don't, again, you don't have all that clarity. So how does that affect product, right? You, uh, you need to understand that not everything, uh, it, not everything can be done. It's not built yet. It's not standardized yet. Uh, so you have to take that into account both, you know, on the product level, both on the user experience side, but also on the engineering side and how you define those, right? So it's, it's interesting, again, it's interesting to do product management, management within the space. Um, mm -hmm. And it also comes with, with its challenges of uh, differences between Web2. Hopefully that's um, yeah, kind of the points it, are clear. If I, if I try to summarize it, it, it sounds like what you said is that one, Product management in Web three is different than Web two because first, it's harder to find and on, and it's longer to onboard new team members. And two, because of all the nuances, because of how novel things are, the user interface and also the engineering aspect is going to be a little clunky and, and correct. Cumbersome. Correct, exactly. So, so been, how long have you been at uh, Fireblocks? So, um, sorry, I say Roblox. Um, I, I, I almost say, did. Yeah, yeah, I, I, <laughs> you caught me in listen, my head. My, I was like, yeah, God I damn it. My son, you know, my son, I, I thought the same thing. He, he plays Roblox all the time. I get confused <laughs> as well. Um, so, uh, and it's actually a really nice same, same. Web 3 use case, right? So, uh, it is, yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, I've been here since December 21. Um, so, okay. uh, 
one year and two months ago, so 14 months ago. Um, yeah, and, and again, I came from kind of a very, I guess, diverse background. I was always on the entrepreneurship uh, side. I even had my, so the, my my romance with, with blockchain actually started uh, not that OG, like I started at 2016 <laughs> um, uh, with, you know, with blockchain technologies. I had a um, a company. I started a startup that did uh, crowdfunding for real estate. Um, and at a certain point, you know, I was very. I was I started reading about blockchain. Um, you know, Ethereum was like you know the hottest thing. Um, and uh, being from an engineering background, like I started uh, checking Solidity code and what can be done there. Um, and the concept of like security tokens came up. Mm -hmm. um and how would you take so again kind of you know sidetracking into like real estate um one of the, the the way that you raise funds for real estate not if you're not selling an apartment or and you want to invest like a, within a new building that's being built um so basically what you have is uh um a, an S, something called an spv which is a special purpose vehicle uh which it's not a vehicle at all. It talks about like corporate structure. Um, it's a, it's an LLC company that owns owns that project, and then you issue shares from that company, right? Um, and then people buy those shares. If you invest, then you get like this private equity shares. The the problem with that um, is that um, it's not tradable. There's no liquidity to that. Um, so um, if you go uh, if you invest in one of those of those things, then you need to wait for the building to actually, you know, have a liquidity, meaning it will it sells off, uh, mm. it gets refinanced and and basically bought by the bank. Um, and but you know, if you if you raise money from a lot of people, statistically speaking, someone you know needs to I don't know has some issues or problems, and they need to kind of sell their shares. In order to get liquidity, in order to have money to buy something, because they they they, they ran into some troubles, right? Um, so we thought about tokenizing that um, and providing liquidity around that potential liquidity. Mm -hmm. So instead of getting a share, which is like a piece of paper saved on an Excel somewhere, um, a, a, like very unmanageable. Like blockchain does a really good work of like record keeping. Um, and being like very good at like ownership. Um, so we thought that made sense. Obviously we were too soon to that. Um, even today is like too soon. We, we tried, but that's where I got hooked on like blockchain technologies cool. and like the potential of what it could do. Um, so that was like, again, uh, five, six years ago. Um, and ever since, uh, even when I worked like at other, at, at other companies, that was always my passion and my hobby and like the thing that I wanted to, um, to deal with and that's how i came into uh fireblocks um and you know i knew the team and uh, they did amazing um and they wanted to expand to other areas so um it was a good match from cool yeah so so tell us about fireblocks what um what about it like caught your attention and um tell us about the business itself right so again the you know, Fireblocks, um, again, did an amazing job, was founded at, uh, um, around 2018 um, by uh, Michael, Idan, and Pavel, um, the three Israelis. Um, and 
you know, they, they grew amazingly and it's a, I don't remember on which a, a podcast or like book I read about. If someone offers you to kind of jump on a rocket ship, you just do it. Um, so that's, that's what I did. Uh, it's, it's a rocket ship. Um, so, uh, so what Fireblocks does at their, at the very essence, uh, Fireblocks is a, is a, is a wallet platform, uh, basically providing, uh, highly secured wallets for businesses. Um, so Fireblocks is based on a MPC. Um, we have our own flavor called MPC CMP. MPC stands for multi-party computation. I don't know if the viewers, listeners know, know what multi-party computation is. Um, but it's a, it's a very, uh, effective way of eliminating, um, the one, um, uh, a, the one vulnerability or the one like a, a, a single point of failure with, with crypto, which is the private key, right? If someone steals your private key, then he gets access to everything, it's essentially like stealing your identity and bank account together. Um, so, uh, so the way private keys were managed, uh, the, on a pre-fireblocks uh, era, was that um, was that that you had traders, um, you gave them either a MetaMask or uh, you kept uh, the private key in an Excel sheet so everyone can uh, can interact with it, which is as we know today is uh, problematic. That sounds terrible. I would say, <laughs> yeah, it sounds, sounds awful. Um, so uh, what fireblocks is it? approached financial institutions and built the MPC solution. MPC, in a nutshell, um, it takes your private key, um, it splits it into um, N shards, uh, in our case, it's three shards. Um, and then when a transaction comes, each shard sends a, signs on its own shard. Together, the signatures are like the signature of a private key. So in no point mm. in time is even the, the shares pasted together to have the private key. It's never whole in one location uh, in one time. Um, basically, it uses a lot of like zero knowledge proofs um, and, and together eliminates, as I've said, uh, this, uh, the single point of failure, which is like the entire private key. What we were able to do, what Fireblocks is able to do on top of that is also um, have a, a robust policy engine. And that policy engine basically uh, allows us to, allows our customers to define what it is and uh, what the um, what the shares can sign or cannot sign, right? So think about it like a firewall setting, and you can say, "Oh, if I make a, a daily transactions of more than one million dollars, I want every remain like every following transaction to be denied, like no one can sign it." And the way it's it's possible is that because Fireblocks keeps two shares of that uh, uh, of those shares uh, and and the customer keeps one share then the customer is able to define how the other shares within fireblocks actually sign those transactions right so you can put a lot of like different rules and that basically brought in institutional grade a uh, uh, security into financial institutions that uh, before weren't very secure or didn't have the right processes in place. So from your, you know, hedge funds, prop, prop trading firms, ODC desks uh, that are using Fireblocks all the way to, you know, the biggest bank in the world, Bank of New York Mellon, uh, that uses Fireblocks as their infrastructure to uh, fintech providers. Um, uh, so again, everyone needs a wallet, right? Even if you think about like a, a centralized exchanges, 
right? They open deposit addresses for each one of their users. There needs to be a wallet over there, right? And someone needs to define how that wallet interacts, what happens when it gets like, you know, an ETH or a Bitcoin, where does it go? How is it distributed? And all of that, all that wallet infrastructure is provided securely and scalably by Fireblocks. So this is kind of the bread and butter of what Fireblocks does. So um, we touched upon like MPC, or sorry, you just really dove into what MPC is. Um, but you didn't mention multisig, which is like the the counterpart to like what MPC Correct. tries to differentiate against. So can you tell us a little bit more about like what the differentiator is between multisig and MPC, and why? You like Fireblocks believes MPC is better, um, and then any practical example that you can kind of relate to, like a the 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 Stone Age Web two world today, like maybe with um, like credit card transactions and just authorizations, could be really useful for listeners to just understand like what that what that process really looks like. Okay, so so for the first question, um, multisig again, these are two different approaches, like two. Um, very different approaches, right? A multi-sig is basically um, having um, a different wallets that each has their own private key uh, controlled by them, uh, having to sign a, tra a specific transaction in order to pass that through, right? So everything basically that's done through a smart contract that needs like the signatures to go through that, to the, that smart contract. So all that logic is basically on-chain. Right, the smart contract uh, um, can define how many signatures it needs, uh, or how many transactions it needs from different wallets, uh, and thresholding and everything. Basically, that I've mentioned earlier, the differentiator is that this is done on chain. So, first of all, you don't have that privacy, right? Because MPC does everything off chain, and secondly, there's a cost. Like, if you need, if you need for one transaction, let's say you want to send. ETH from wallet A to wallet B, and wallet A is a multi-sig, then, and let's say five different wallets need to sign in order to approve uh, that transaction, then you now turned a one transaction, you know, a one transaction uh, into six transactions. Um, and that's costlier, right? Because you have to pay the gas fees for each one of those transactions. Um, so that's like a, a key differentiator where in, in the MPC world, it's much, you know, it's, it's off-chain, it's private, and it's cheap in terms of a, how, how you do those signatures. So those are, the, those are like two um, key differences. Um, and in the, I would say in the Web2 space, right, all these systems are very much decentralized within banks, right? So whoever from us, like, you know, had a company, had a corporate bank account. And again, I don't have a lot of experience with bank accounts in the US, but here in Israel, when you, uh, when you open a bank account, you can also tell the bank, I need to define some approvals, right? Who can do what, right? Who, mm -hmm. like, what beneficiary of the account can uh, sign a transaction um, in the sense that, you know, Maybe these people can do only less than like $10,000 of transfers within like a certain day or within a certain month. Um, if it's more than that, then, you know, a different beneficiary needs to also approve. And if it's like a very big um, a transaction that maybe the CEO needs to uh, approve. So all these exist within like the traditional banking system and they didn't exist 
in the you know in the crypto blockchain um, industry, and that's what Fireblocks brought to the table because eventually accountants are accountants and, and CFOs are CFOs, right? The fact that they deal with a different type of asset doesn't mean that they are now willing to change the entire way that they operate a business. So you want to stick to how businesses are operated, but give them the ability to do that on digital assets as well. So that's mm-hmm. kind of the leading um, thought that we have. Got it. So a, a big tenant of web three is minimizing trust, right? So is this solution with MPC being off chain? And maybe I'm just not understanding it fully. Are we now trusting fireblocks with the off chain, like computation or whatever is happening there? Or, or how is this trust minimized? I guess. I no, so, you so, there, Sean, because yeah. I was going to go to the exact same spot too. It's like the recentralization that triggered us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> Okay, note to self, not to self. But no, the, the way that you think about it is, is is key management, right? I mean, on a let's say on a, a on a on an alternative solution, you would still have that private key. You would still own that private key. You would need to make make it safe, make it secure, right? So it's all about how you manage your your key. Your key is the one. Your keys is always off chain. You always keep your private key, right? Down to really off-chain in terms of like, oh, here's your seed phrase, please print it and put it in a drawer, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's completely off-chain. So in any case, the private key and the key management is something that you do off-chain. Um, it's not kept on-chain, right? So basically taking that and transforming it to be very smart and secure in the way you manage your key um, so first of all, again, as I've said, doing, uh, you know, having an MPC and never hold in one place and then defining rules of what that key can actually be used for. So they don't, maybe one thing that I admitted is that multi-sig and MPC aren't necessarily, um, competitive in a sense, because you can say my MPC wallet can sign a multi-sig transaction, right? I mm. can define a multi-sig to say, Okay, I need that wallet's um, trans- uh, approval as well, and that wallet is mentioned is is managed by MPC. So they're Got not it. they're they're not inherently competitive. Um, it's just that because you can define the uh, the set of rules that you would be able to define on a multi sig on MPC as well. It kind of it, it's down to is it saving us costs, right? What mm-hmm. is the, the cost of running a blockchain operation? And if we can reduce that without compromising security and without compromising basically trust, then we would go for that, right? And, and that's basically what we do because we cannot, under any circumstances, initiate a transaction and sign it without our customer's signature as well, right? We cannot, by design, by technical design, um, we cannot uh, uh, move crypto from one wallet to the next. Only our users can do that. Only our, only our customers can do that. So mm-hmm. there's no trust on, on, on our side. Out, out of curiosity, what would happen if, if like Firebox just goes bankrupt or something? What happens to the shards that you have? And if like if I want to make a, a transaction, but like you own, I get own or manage half of my, my seed phrase, how, how would that work? So that that's a great question, and the answer is 
that's part of the onboarding process is basically getting uh, what's called a disaster recovery. So we can always extract cool. the private key on your phone, oh. basically. Um, and it goes, and again, that's another entire spectrum of how the process works from your end. You can have it on your own, and you can also use a third party that's not relying on Fireblocks to actually recover that using what's called um, a, a DRS, which is a disaster recovery um, service. Um, and there are companies in the world, that's what they do. They do disaster recovery services um, also for Fireblocks customers as well. So at any point in time, and it's not, by the way, it's not only what happens if, right, Fireblocks um like if fireblocks uh i don't know it goes bankrupt it's also a question of retaining ownership of a, of what you have and if you're not satisfied right by by fireblocks you can use that drs to basically export all your private keys and and you know take them elsewhere in a sense right so it's a really fundamental fundamental question and paradigm of who's the owner and the owner of the keys and of the processes are our customers. We are a SaaS um, a, a company. We provide the technical tools in order for you to run your business. We do not take any, you know, we're not, not in the money flow. We're not like, you know, a, a doing anything like monetary within the system. We just give you um, the tools to succeed as a business. So, um, I, I really like this because, yeah, Sean was asking all the centralization. And if he wasn't, then I was going to be like, well, isn't this just re-centralization again? But it's not because Fireblocks. So if you go to a bank, like in that Web 2 example that you gave, uh, well, if banks were Web 2, they're still Web 1. But if if, <laughs> Correct. if, if banks were Web 2, um, they, you know, you go and you give all these permissions and stuff. And that information is stored with the bank. But the bank also has your money. In this scenario, the customer, you, do, Fireblocks is not the bank in any way. They are more so just providing the the software, the SaaS layer of saying, this is how you can set up all of these rules and so forth. Correct. And it's done in a way where if you decide to leave or switch or Fireblocks goes away, you're not stranded uh, anywhere too, which, um, so that's really cool. That makes me happy. Uh, but tell us then, since you're a SaaS, how do you make money? Uh, and what are the economics behind all of this? Yeah, so... Like any SaaS company, we sell a subscription and licenses, right? I mean, that's what we do. Um, and not to get like too technical, but you know, the verticals on which we uh, which we uh, basically charge are okay. So, how many wallets are you um, are you running, right? Are you creating and are you managing? Um, so you can think about, as I've said, the, the earlier ones were more about uh, financial. So the financial institutions, so they don't necessarily have a lot of like uh, wallets, but now you go into banks um, that also keep wallets for their customers, then you start like scaling the wallets themselves, right? They can think about when uh, when you have, as I've said, like on centralized exchanges, if you treat them, they're not banks because it's different regulation, different uh, line of business, but um, you have an account, that account means that you also have a wallet, right? So as a company, you have to uh, have that capability and have the technology and stack in place to actually do that, right? And spin up a wallet for every user that signs up. Um, so we do that as well. So that's like one aspect on how many wallets. Secondly, Fireblock says processed 
more than three trillion dollar worth of a, a, um, of a digital assets being exchanged. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, it also relies on okay, what's the volume like? How how much do we need to like? How uh, you know how how scalable or I would say what is the volume that you're going to exchange within the year, right? And then we give you uh, tiers based on how much volume are you gonna are you gonna have? And the third one um, is basically how much assets are you keeping under under your custody, right? So it all ties in. And again, I'll tell you like our belief is to stick to the growth of the companies that we work with, right? We want to make them successful and we charge accordingly. So we're very, um, in a sense, like always, um, you know, getting feedback from our customers and say, okay, what is your growth factor? Will you succeed because you have a lot of wallets? Will you succeed because you have a lot of volume or you will you succeed if you have a lot of assets, right? I mean, and based on the answers of those three, then we tailor the right uh, type of a um, subscription and license for you. Yeah, that makes sense. So I, I want to, we've been kind of dancing around the, we've been talking a lot about financial use cases. So I'm curious, going yes. back to what you said before, where you, you're kind of defining how Fireblocks fits into the non-financial use cases. And you're interviewing all these companies, talking to founders and all this. What are you learning in those interviews? Like, who are you talking to and, and what are you learning of the problems they're having? So, so I would say, I would say this, like in a very high level, we're still at like a very fragmented place in terms of Web3 and its usages, right? Um, And you see companies across the board uh, going into Web3, you know, as I said, big brands and then smaller startups, uh, you know, and SMBs. Um, everyone's trying something. I can I can say almost for a fact that there is no like one company within like the you know top one hundred brands in the world that doesn't deal with you know what's our Web three strategy, what are we doing like with NFTs and things like that. You know, it might be for the right reasons or for the wrong reasons, but but again, it's like um, eh, it's a discussion, w- eh, which is great. Um, and and also there are like other industries like, you know, gaming, music, ticketing, uh, which are also like, you can kind of see the, you can kind of feel like how it's starting to, you know, click together on how these things would work. Um, so that's, so that's super interesting. But I think to your question, um, what are we learning? Um, so what, maybe it's, it's important to say, what are we, um, what did we set out? To kind of find out right i mean so we're learning a lot of things but you know we need to be very coherent about uh what we're trying to find out and basically the question that you know we're asking uh ourselves and and the industry is like okay so why aren't you doing like what's keeping you from doing it tomorrow right i mean why aren't you launching something tomorrow what it is that you're launching um to find kind of the deeper you know Oh wait, we you know we need to do this and we need to do that and like uh, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, challenges and, and, and hurdles and we we set out to find out what are those. Um, so broadly speaking, um, there are a few and we can categorize them. Um, one thing is regulatory, right? I mean, so um, uh, for for public companies. Um, to start dealing with with NFTs, for instance, um, or crypto. I'll give a very concrete example. Let's say you're like a public company 
a Web2 company wanting to do something with Web3, you want to issue like an NFT, airdrop it like into your users, uh, and then have your users do something with it. Okay, very basic flow. Anyone on Web3, you know, claimed, minted something to his wallet and, you know, went around to OpenSea and played with it. Okay, so who, who like, okay, so we provision a wallet that NFT sits inside the wallet. Um, and then, like, he wants to transfer it out. It needs gas, needs ETH to transfer that token out. Who owns that ETH? Like, how does he get that ETH? How does he, like, on, you know, on-ramp into that? And if we as a company, we keep it, then wait, we need to, uh, we need to put it on the books. We need to report it to accounting. And then, so it's like, for us, like from the Web3 space, like, oh, this is such, so primitive, right? It's so simple. Like, this is what, I mean, I do that every day. Right? And like, for these companies, wait, we need legal, we need accounting, we need like, you know, we need everyone to kind of have an opinion on that. So that's a hurdle, right? So how mm-hmm. do you deal with crypto? Uh, so you need to develop products that actually tell those brands, hey, you know what? You can do that without actually touching crypto, gasless transfers, you know, open GSN, uh, things that can be facilitated by Fireblocks that in, in, in other companies um, that would make it okay by accounting. So, you know what? Under this architecture, we don't touch crypto, mm-hmm. right? So it's good for us. We can do that. Um um, and then, uh, and then from from the other side, okay, what's the experience? How do we give right? How, how do we provision a wallet? How a user knows that he has a wallet? You know, my parents don't necessarily know what the wallet is. I mean, they do know they carry around and they still have cash inside. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's uh, but but from for our intents, like, the, but these are the people that they're targeting. They don't want to go to like the one percent. Sorry, I mean, no disrespect, I'm one too, but like the DGENs, right, and the Web3, what we call the, the Web3 natives, um, they want to, you know, we're only like 0.1% of, you know, the population that they want to target. And these are big brands, you know, that every day deal with like, you know, billions of, uh, of eyeballs on, on them, right? So how do you make that transition frictionless, right? And it's always a balance. Like if you make it really transition, like the transition very uh, um, seamless, then, then, then regulation needs to be like is more strict around it, right? If you own that experience, then regulation will come in and say, you know, it's too like uh, you have to report this, you have to do that, you have to take care of this, right? And if you do it entirely on the other scale, like entirely permissionless, bring your own wallet, then again, as I've said, you narrow down your addressable market uh, or your accessible market by magnitude, right? By an order of magnitude. So that's kind of the one of the biggest thing is one, how do we, um, <coughs> sorry, how do we um, approve internally the processes to make sure everyone's aligned and it's like cleared by legal uh, and accounting. And I know that's depressing, but that's the way the world works. <laughs> um, and, and, from, and from the other hand, how do we uh, onboard and on-ramp these users, these users to like Web3? Another thing that is like super important is like in order for it to last, then we actually need to um, make that part of our tech stack. How do we educate engineers? How do we educate internally what it is that can be achieved, right? And it takes time. It takes time. And I mean, 
also for me from experience, I can say, but think about large companies with, you know, large engineering teams that they're used to this tech stack, right? That they know like backend, uh, front end, you know, uh, I don't know, SQL or no non-SQL, whatever it is, like the paradigm. And, uh, and now you tell them, listen, there's this new thing, you know, smart contracts and blockchain and transaction and private keys and uh, wallets and things like that. They don't, it doesn't click right away. Like what is it that can be done, right? It You need time to get used to it. So kind of cultivating an engineering perspective into what can be achieved by Web3 is also like a big um, enabler for companies to kind of realize the potential that they have with this, right? And they really need to be intentful because it's not every day that you can, oh, we have this new technology that uh, might be used for something. Hey, engineering team here, learn like a new, a whole different bunch of, primitives and uh, and technology just to do that right i mean it's not it's not something that is easily done so it takes time but uh, but this is another challenge and again we are doing it right as fireblocks we're kind of doing that very developer focused um type both for big brands and for startup companies um to kind of give them, try to simplify it as much as possible by providing, you know, a, a set of APIs that you can go in, build your first like Web3 application, kind of strip away, um, you know, the complexities of like, I need an RPC node and then now I need to uh, query the blockchain for the state and like do all these types of things. Um, so again, we try in order for this, uh, everything to advance or like uh, to gain popularity, to make it as frictionless and, and simple as possible. So that's another pain point, I would say, or a, a challenge in, in this space. So it's a, they, these are the things that we're learning, right? I mean, uh, um, or the different facets and, and we're still learning and we're learning on the time with, with each person and company that we talk to. Sean and I talk a lot about use cases, um, and we, immediately we kind of go to the same ones that you were talking about, Omar, with the whole like, you know, Fortune 500, Fortune 100 company, NFT, whatever, for better or for worse, legal, everyone gets its clunky, its long process. Um, but a lot of that seems out of reach because most of us aren't in a Fortune 500 company or in a super well-funded startup. Um, so what can a small business do or what are some examples that you've seen that small businesses can do that are maybe they're a consulting company or an agency or like a restaurant chain or something like that that's a little bit more within reach versus this like huge multi-million dollar budget kind of special use case that we're talking about? Yeah, so I, I think, um, first of all, listen, it, it's, a, it's a tricky question, right? I mean, um, because when we were kind of sitting down and discussing, okay, which, what are the companies that are primed to kind of go out and be successful um, within the Web3 space, at least at first, right? At least like for the, you know, foreseeable, let's say short-term uh, future, we see a lot of these, uh, so I'll, maybe I'll divide it into like two categories very briefly and then I'll come back. As I've said, like there's a lot of like marketing push, right? So you think about the loyalty, right? Um, VIP clubs, loyalties, uh, programs, uh, points programs. Not a lot has happened like right the last 15 years 
in terms of like the technology and in, in the enabler, right? We still get like the cards, you still get the points, you have a conversion rate and like, you know, all these types of things. And suddenly this new thing comes along and this new tech appears, right? And like, you suddenly have a new toy to play with, right? I mean, the, the marketing loyalty people, and I say, okay, this is interesting. Finally, something is happening like within the space. Um, so they're trying to do that. Now, is it a long-term push? I don't know, right? I mean, uh, we, we see it. It's a great first use case. It will onboard a lot of people into Web3 and kind of, and, but you need to, you need to build on that and it needs to be a strategy. So that's one thing. The other thing is utility, right? So we're looking, we're seeing like a, a, a tokenizing of ticketing. Um, a, there's a company, a really nice one that does like a, um, they actually tokenize um, a, a flight tickets. Um, and they actually tokenize the inventory and not tokenize the, the ticket. And you need to like three days before the flight, then they need to kind of associate the ticket with the NFT with the actual person that's going to go. And you can do secondary trading. And then like the, the airline company is guaranteed like a cut of every trade, like on the smart contract. And then like they make revenue just by tokenizing their inventory without losing a, a lot. Again, that's like the premise. Uh, so that's like, very heavy utility within that um so these are like the two categories that we're seeing like one on the utility side more one of more on the marketing uh, loyalty side um but there but in but in the marketing which is mostly of what we see right adidas nike starbucks um they they really rely on what they saw in like the earlier like nft drops you know the board apes and and the punks um where it's mostly based around like community, right? You want to, you believe that there is a community, like you can create a community that would be heavily engaged with a concept. Now, that concept is your brand, right? That's why you go out and do it. This is why we believe like, again, th this is very appealing to like the, the big logos. But every business, if you think about it, every business that wants to cultivate like engagement with its audience, so I wouldn't say that a pharmacy can probably do like an NFT drop with you no know, loyalty. That'd be pretty um, funny. They're, you know, they're, they're, yeah. I mean, if their their users are, you know, their patients are prescribed, right? So they get retention out of the box, right? I mean, so, uh, uh, but, but what I'm saying is that if you have even a local brand, a local company, I would really suggest to see how you can get like your a uh, your audience more involved with with you and you can definitely do like very tailored experiences to to your engaged audience um so again it can be um you know in you can airdrop something that will give them a again a discount and access to like a vip access to something and even for smaller startups that are doing like, you know, there are a lot of like gamifications for engagement and retention purposes. That's also like a, a very nice way to, uh, to, do, uh, to do just that. I think the extra benefit of it and what I like the most about it is that you can also kind of get um, some, some form of knowledge about the identity of the other person or your customer. 
um, by looking at their wallet, right? And it doesn't have to be even like, right? I mean, so if someone comes in and he has like a board ape in his wallet and he scans the wallet and uh, and you see that, you can give something to him without even like the board apes even being involved, right? You can do a one-sided co-marketing um, campaign without even like the other ones, right? So I can also, like if I own a small store that sells Nike, someone comes in, has a Nike NFT, I can decide on myself to give him a discount. I don't need to consult with like, you know, the firm that actually, you know, gave him that NFT. So I like, like being creative around it is like something that, you know, small businesses can do. They basically piggyback off of, you know, those big drops and those big things. So that's what I like about the kind of interoperability of like the, the NFT space. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I find it interesting. For sure, yeah. And one of our favorite phrases in Web3 is we're so early. Uh, you know, we hear that over and over and over. So do you think it's too early for small businesses like this to to experiment? Or like what type of business owner should be thinking about these things? Is it someone that's just like interested and they're like, oh, I wonder what I could do in Web3? Or is it, you know, the mom and pop coffee shop that's, I don't know, looking for the next marketing campaign? <laughs> Listen, if I, you know, if I worked at marketing, um, no, but uh, yeah. I, I think, yeah, exactly. Um, but I think, um, you know, it's a spectrum, right? I mean, it's also, you can ask the question of like, which, right, which uh, um, a company should have like a loyalty points or like, you know, have a membership card or have anything. So obviously it doesn't fit to like any company. What I would say is that, if you feel like you have like a following, right? If you feel like, um, you know, maybe you're engaging on social media and you get some traction, maybe like you have something that you feel is unique and special and people relate to, uh, and you can build the community off of that. I would strongly suggest to kind of at least dip your toe into it. And I think it's becoming fairly easy to kind of even do something very small scale on your own you know, go out, take a wallet, connect it to like a DAP, you know, mint an, a, a pre-audited smart contract, upload some images that are pinned on IPF, right? I mean, it all sounds scary, but, you know, you you actually have like companies that, you know, serve it to you like very, very well, right? That uh, you can do your first thing or you can, uh, I don't know, uh, consult with someone uh, that knows how to do it. And it's becoming like really... I would say kind of easy. So the the biggest lift is actually understanding your strategy around it, understanding, you know, the art, the creative around it, like in, 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 in which channels you want to communicate with, with your community. But the fact that it's like a blockchain and NFT shouldn't deter you uh, if you want to try it, because it's really becoming fairly simple to, to actually, to actually do it as a brand mm-hmm. or as a, as a local store. Yeah, yeah. So in your conversations that you're having with with businesses that are either dipping their toes in already or thinking about it, how do you think mass adoption is, is going to happen here for us? Because um, like we keep saying, it's still pretty limited to people who have wallets, but like, what is mm-hmm. the thing that's going to get us get everybody in? So I have, I have my opinion, it's not necessarily like a official fireblocks opinion, right? Um, but and and I'm very much biased because I'm a, I'm a gamer myself, but I think gaming is going to be the, you know, kind of the enabler and the thing that will bring, um, you know, 
the next I don't know hundred to one billion uh, you know hundred million or to one billion um, users to like blockchain and Web three. That's what I believe in, um, and I think we're seeing a lot of like you know behind the scenes a lot of like ga- games being built. We started out with like you know Axie Infinity and like Play to Earn, and, and although you know currently not, not going super well, but uh, they might recover. Um, the it was a nice POC, like okay you can actually do a game that's connected to like blockchain. That's what they demonstrated and build some sort of economy on top of that. Um, and now the tools are out there. You get economy basically out the box. You need to do it carefully, securely, obviously, uh, as we learned from, from Axie themselves. Um, uh, but I believe like that someone out there is building a product that might initially not look like it's going to be like, you know, NFT or wallet based or like blockchain based. And it's going to be great. And people will onboard into that. Um, on the back end, they'll have like a wallet probably associated with them. And then one day it's like, yeah, actually everything that you own inside the game is an NFT. Now you can go, there's like secondary trading and, and stuff like that. But this is, I believe like there's going to come this, game or this experience that uh, um, will onboard like hundreds of millions of people into that. That's like why my personal belief, Um, Um, because these things tend to explode. And I think the younger generation is also already like more flexible or open to the thought of like, you know, digital uh, asset ownership and, and they might even look for it in a sense and might, it might give them the edge while in the admittedly in the older gaming community it's still like being you know yeah you're trying to you know it's a cash grab and like uh, you say blockchain it's marketing like uh, you know the pushback for company like big companies that uh, have big titles that said that they're going into blockchain wasn't very well received by the the community right so yeah um so that's what i think right this is cool. this is one avenue that i believe in yeah, I hope you're right. It's uh, I think you're right. Where you know we kind of almost have to trick people into it. Like they don't need to know that this is a wallet. They don't need to know it's NFTs. But then later we can say, hey, they are and they're yours. <laughs> Listen, so the, we had a really good use case. Like there, there was a really good example, like Reddit, right? I mean, mm, uh, yeah, right. The Reddit NFTs. You got you could purchase it with like you know Apple Pay or Google Pay. You know, attached to your like uh, your phone in uh, in the Reddit app you got what's called a vault and it's a digital, you know, it's a digital, it's an avatar. Nothing like, except like the, you know, the kind of poly scan link that you get, like to actually see it on like the Polygon Explorer. It didn't talk too much about like, this is an NFT and like, you know, it's blockchain and it's Polygon and you have a wallet and like, no, it's like very simplified. Um, very, you know, kind of, uh, uh, I think they did it. They, they did it very well like that that's that's the way that it should be done like very simple experience um yep. so uh, so i think it's it's a good example of exactly how it needs to be done it's not like they're hiding it it's not like they're tricking yeah. it, but the, it's not it's not uh, like facebook will say on a post that you know brought to you by uh, i don't know a uh, 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 MongoDB, right? Or yeah. like, some, <laughs> yeah, like why uh, confuse database. everybody? <laughs> why do I care? Like, what's the underlying technology, right? I just want to see the benefits of it. So I think I think that's uh, we need to demonstrate the benefits, um, and then uh, and then it will become popular. 
For sure. All right, we're up on time here. So the last question I've got for you is we're still pretty yep. early in 2023. It's still January. So I'm curious what your predictions for the year are for Web3. Yeah, so, wow, that's a, it's a serious We need question. a date and a price. No. <laughs> yes, exactly. And and your signature, please, here. Yes. Um, <laughs> So, so I, I would say, I would say this, I think what we've seen towards the end of 2022, um, you know, the start of 2022 and the end of 2022, to say the least, weren't the same, right? Um, and I think we'll see more like towards the first half of 2023. Um, I would say generally, like, it's a, there are always a lot of discussions here, but I would say it's a good thing. Okay, like, the, the hype has slowed down a little bit. Um, companies are getting more intentful with what they want to see. And they're getting more strategic in the things that they want to see. It's a good time to think about what you want to do. So I think we won't see like a lot of like major things going on in like, you know, the next quarter or two. But what I will see that will ramp up towards like the end of 2023, we'll see a lot of these very well thought of um, exper digital experiences that will come both from brands and from new businesses that will affect things that we do um, normally, let's say within the web two, right? So you look at lens protocol, for instance, how it, it serves as the like a, kind of the, the backbone of the uh, social, um, uh, social infrastructure on web three. Um, so again, Admittedly, there are a lot of like nice apps over there, but it really feels like the start of Web 2, like even graphically, it sometimes feels like the start of Web 2, um, but it's going to get there, right? It's like constantly experimenting. So think about what happened. Think about what happened with like financials, right? And, and, and crypto. It got into cycles so fast. It's like so fast in iterations and yeah, scams, rug pulls, but then like building DeFi, AMMs, you know, and then like it's all constantly evolving so rapidly that it's like, you know, we're already at a phase that took like the traditional financial system, like, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of years to get through, like this new primitive is like evolving super fast. So I think also like on these types of, uh, of uh, fronts, we'll also see like a lot of like very rapid innovation. And we'll get to a point towards late, later in like 2023, where we'll have like at least like one very good like a, a social experience uh, that utilizes like utilizes like ownership on top of blockchain. Uh, we'll have game uh, at least like a game that you know is decent and like playable <laughs> and is fun and also utilizes utilizes something around like the blockchain technologies. And we'll see more and more brands kind of issuing. Uh, and cultivating communities uh, with those digital assets and giving more utilities into it, right? More events, more a, a special, a, a special like clothes and 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 wares and 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 things like that. So we'll see that. I think now everyone's like very like deep, you know, planning, executing, making sure that these experiences are are well crafted. And then we'll see towards the, you know, kind of second half of 2023, like that ramping up and, and having some impact over, you know, more than just the, the crypto natives. Yep. Love it. Well, next year, we'll look back and see, see what happened here. Omer, thanks so much for being on the show. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. It was a great fun.